Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Wonderful to see you all this morning. Lovely to be together. Uh, it's a really, really cool privilege to be here. Just before we say another thing, thank you, Fee. Um, Luke and Ellie, well done. They are, yeah, yeah, you don't know why you're clapping for them, but um, they're, they're now, they're now f- they're like members of the, f- the accounting world. I actually don't know what it is, but it's very, very impressive. Depart- what, what is it? Tell me. You. They, they just, they, the, the accounting massive exam, they passed that one. So they're amazing. So, so they can do your taxes now. Yay. Anyway. There we go. Wonderful to be together this morning. If we have not met, my name is Gabe Phillips, and uh, I'd love to say to you, if you're visiting, welcome to the best church in the world. Yeah. Thank you. I'm a bit biased, maybe, but I really believe this is a church that loves incredibly well, that is so generous, and actually incredibly generous with your, their encouragement. Let me, let me give you a case in point. This last week, I was um, sitting at home, and I get a text message that says, hey, Gabe, I was away last year for some of the year, but I'm at home. You know, just I'm, I'm watching our sermons on our YouTube channel. So he says, you know, I'm just learning. It, you know, it's amazing. I'm so encouraged. So he said, and then he sent me this screenshot, if you, if you, if you will. That screenshot, and it was just a wonderful one. <laughs> Until he sent me a follow-up message that said, what's, what's that on your head? <laughs> and then before I could reply, he sent me this photo. <laughs> and... Uh, I was highly offended, Jason. Thank you. Highly offended. Until my wife said to me, but I love salmon sushi. So there you go. There you go, you know. So yeah, joke's on you. (laughs) But welcome this morning. We are in week two of our Into the Deep series. It's a vision series. We're reminding ourselves of not what we do as a church, but who we are as a church, that we are a people who reach far, that we are God's hands and feet to reach those who are far from Christ. We are here to raise up, become disciples, and call all that He has called us to be, and raise each other up in that great call. And finally, to be a people who release wide, that we exist not to be the best church in the city, but the best church for the city. We exist to bless those who do not know the good news of Jesus yet. That's who we are, and we're saying Jesus is calling us into the deep as a church, but as individuals in the story, and I, I don't know if you've heard the call in the last couple of weeks, but I want to remind you that Jesus here, and He's calling every single one of us, He's calling us out of the crowd and into His core. He's, he's calling us out of the deep. He's saying to you, actually, would we be a people who move out of compromise and into conviction? And would we be a people who move out of comfort into calling? I hope you hear the clarion call of God to our hearts, that God is not calling just to some generic few, but to every single one of us, will you step out into the deep? It's time to make some moves here. Um, and in that notion, I would love us to read some scripture. It's going to be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles, but Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. It's much harder than it looks, I promise. And it looks pretty hard. Um, Luke chapter 5 is where we're at, and and we've been reading the scripture for the last couple of weeks, but we're wanting this scripture, this text, to go deep in our hearts, because Jesus is calling us deep into his. So Luke 5, verse 1 to 11, it says this, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. 
he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter, Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others around him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. So Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I want to tell us before I pray, before I, I say another word or lead us into this text, I want to give us a, a little bit of a disclaimer up front. And here it is. God longs, desires, and wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. I don't know what notion you have of God, where you're from, what tradition, what background, or even what you've done, or what your story looks like. Maybe what mental picture and image of God you have in your head. But I want to tell you, God's heart is to bless you. How do I know this? Page one of the Bible starts off that says that God saw humanity and he blessed them. Before they'd done anything good or bad, Genesis 1.28 says God blessed mankind. Not more than that, once mankind had sinned and when the, the, the depth of our depravity, it was at that moment that God sent the ultimate blessing, Jesus Christ, to come and redeem us and save us and call us out of our futile way of living. And Jesus saved us when we were dead in our sins. So if you want to doubt the goodness of God, I want to tell you God blesses us before we do anything. And God blesses us when we've messed it up completely. God is faithful to bless and he wants to bless us. I want to say this again and again. God wants to bless you. He wants to grow you. He wants to use you. He wants to raise us up. But as our good friend Peter from this text is finding out very quickly, there's first a catch. So this morning, I want you to turn to five people and tell them my very creative title of this sermon. There is a catch. Can you tell them five people? Find five people. Say to them, there is a catch. If they're behind you, around you, find them. Let's pray together this morning. Let's pray before we get into the scripture. Father, I pray right now, by the power of your word, would you call people here? Would you awaken hearts to move from the crowd to the core, God? Would you move people to move from compromise to conviction? Would you move us to be people who move from comfort to the call of God? I thank you, Father, by your word, would you awaken every heart to life, to the highest call, to the greatest call, the good news of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, would it ring true in every heart here? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning, I want to be very simple and just say, you want to be a follower of Jesus? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? That's great, but first, there's a catch. And I want to, from this text, give you three types of non-negotiables that you and I need to embrace, fully embrace, if we are going to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. So number one from this text, that's going to be on the screen behind me, it's this, availability leads to the extraordinary. Let me set the scene for you. 
Jesus' fame is growing as, as, the, as the, the, the writer of this gospel is telling us his fame is growing across the countryside. And we find here a great crowd is gathered and they're trying to get close as they can to Jesus. I can imagine there's somebody selling tickets on the side. He's trying to make a quick buck for this saying, hey, fake tickets to the Jesus show. You know, just there's a whole hustle and bustle. People are trying to get close as they can because they want to they maybe take a quick selfie of, of me and Jesus. You know, look, look at me pressing into this, this new hot teacher on the block. We've got to go hear what he's got to say. So much so this crowd is pressing in on Jesus, this, this exciting day, and Jesus is retreating and doesn't, it was almost going to get trampled. So he gets in a boat in the water to preach to the crowd from there. But before any of this is stated, before we get worked up with this excitement that's going on, the, the writer, Luke, writing this gospel, he writes, starts this whole story with these two words, one day. One day this happened. Now that might not strike you as important, but I want to tell you, Luke is a doctor. The man writing this is a man of precision. This is a man who, of somebody who, is, who takes careful understanding of every word that he's writing down. In chapter 1, he says, I gave careful insight and careful attention to present this document to you, Theophilus. This is a doctor, a man who knows that every comma is important, every word that needs to be strategic. In chapter 3, he labors the point before he tells of Jesus' baptism that this was the year of King Tiberius, that this, this is, he names the, the person who was the governor, the officials, the rulers, and even the high priests of that area. This is a man who takes a chunk of time just to tell us, center us in on the location of that moment. At the end of chapter 3, Luke gives us the longest genealogy that we find in the Bible. He goes even further than Matthew, and he gives a direct account, a doctor's clear, precise account of where exactly we are. But then in chapter 5, he gets all poetic and he says, one day. Just one day. As if it's like, oh, there's another day that happened. And I, that caught my attention. This was not a high day or a holiday. This was just one day, an ordinary day. But I think what is going on here, if I, if I may, is say that actually I think there's often a huge temptation in the heart of man to equate extraordinary things with extraordinary days. We think God will do extraordinary things in and through us when the days are extraordinary, when the moments are, are lining up, when everything seems to be going right in our lives. Actually, I think way too many people disqualify growing and being used by God because of the orderliness, orderliness of their situation. I don't know about you, but maybe your day looks similar to mine. Get up in the morning, press snooze a couple times, debate whether it's Pranutro or Bran Flakes, Get in the car, listen to Wacky Ed Simpson on the way to work. If you're still protesting like my mother-in-law, you're listening to Smile FM. Still protesting against Ryan O'Connor's removal. Forgive them, Karen. Forgive them now. It's about time. But you listen to Ryan O'Connor. You get to work. You tick some boxes. You shuffle some papers. You do your thing. You get in the car. You drive all the way home. You hope to catch a couple episodes on Netflix that you've been storing up on the queue. And then you go to bed. As Dolly Parton would say, working nine to five. What a way to make a living. Or as the great prophetess Rihanna put more succinctly, work, 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 work. <laughs> I want to tell you though, I think too many people, including myself, we wish away moments of potential because we're waiting for another moment. We wish away too many one days because we're waiting for a moment when, one day when, one day if, when everything is going right, then I'll be able to be used of God, I'll be able to grow. But I want to say from the get-go, Jesus specializes in transforming the ordinary things into extraordinary things if we make them available to him. So the text says one day, this ordinary, but then I, I keep reading and I realize there's this massive crowd, but this massive crowd doesn't seem to have the full extent of Jesus' attention. His attention is given to one man. 
And it's not even this amazing man. It's a man named Simon Peter, who if you know anything of the scriptures, or if you start to read a little bit more of him, you realize who is highly unqualified for this attention and the specific role that Jesus is going to ask him to play in the early church. Highly unqualified. I ask the question, what attracted Jesus to Peter? Because when I look at it, Peter is a highly volatile, highly strung, even violent man with a filthy mouth and keeps saying the wrong thing, keeps doing the wrong thing. Peter is unqualified at every single level. So what attracted Jesus to Peter at first? Here's just my suggestion. There was a crowd. Jesus wanted to get in the boat and he said, whose boat is this? Can I use it? That's my suggestion. I believe that actually Peter was in that moment said, you can have my boat. Here's my thought, that maybe actually if Peter had said no, the scripture tells us there was a second boat. Jesus would have said, that's okay. And he would have gone in the other boat and said, hey, what about you? That's my thought. That actually just the only reason that was attracted to Jesus to Peter was his availability. The whole of scripture actually backs me up because this is God's operating system, his modus operandi. From the very beginning, he uses unqualified but available people. He meets Abram and says, Abram, I know you're foreign. Go- you're worshiping foreign gods, but you're available. Yeah, let's go for this thing. He goes and he sees Moses. And Moses, you're running for, on, the, on the back of a murder charge, but you're available. I'm going to use you. Gideon, you're hiding in the bottom of a wine press, but actually I'm going to use you. Come on, available. Let's go. He looks down and at the time of the judges, all the men were backing away and being cowards. So he says, okay, I don't even need you guys. Uh, woman, Deborah, why don't you step up? I'm going to use you. God specializes in using ordinary, unqualified, but available people. This is at the very heart of discipleship that we need to get in our heart. And actually, the fact that God is not looking for accreditation, He's not looking for supplication, He's not looking for inspiration, but God is actually not looking for those who have the skill to do it, but rather God is looking for somebody who has the will to do it. God is not looking for somebody who has the skill to do it, but who has the will to do it. Let me explain this carefully for you. Is the fact that actually God's eyes... Greg, your kid's over there. <laughs> I see a dad poking. Where's my child? Where's my child? She's there. It's good parenting. This is called family. But I want to suggest that actually God so often, he'll overlook even the people who seem the more obvious choice or the skilled choices. But why? Because their hands are too full with their own preoccupation. God seems to specialize in using ordinary people. So much so the scriptures say that actually God loves to use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. I've underlined that and written my name above that. The most foolish of things. And my wife, if she was here, she would have said, amen. But God loves using the foolish things to shame the wise. The things, the, the ordinary things, the unqualified things, the unsuccessful things, the washed up things. He says, I delight in using those things to shame the wise. Are they available for me? There's one man, but not only that, is this incredible story of Peter. He looks at the crowd. There's a story where he sees the crowd, but Jesus, he loves the crowds, but he's always got eyes looking for the disciples within the crowd. Actually, he's calling in this moment. He's saying, Peter, I don't want you just to be a part of the crowd. I don't want you just on the sideline watching. I'm calling you in closer, but it's going to demand something of you. And actually, this is the journey. If we go to the next slide very quickly, this is the journey of every disciple you and I included, is that actually we have to determine our hearts. We're going to make the move from being the crowd, moving into the committed, and moving to the closest. That actually we've got to make that move. You see, the thing is, I think our Western form of Christianity feeds into the notion of allowing us to be in the crowd. Even this whole setup feeds that reality. I can come and slip in and sit, listen, and go. It demands nothing from me, but I'm in the crowd, so it must mean I'm a disciple. Jesus diminishes that myth very quickly. He says, I love the crowds, 
but he says, I'm calling you out of the crowd to come follow me. This is what Peter, Jesus does with Peter in this moment. Discipleship is not a formula. This whole journey is not like, cool, where am I in that process? No, I just think that that whole process, discipleship journey starts with, will you make your boat available? Will you make your ordinary available? Will you make your unqualified nature available? Watch what I'll do with it. That's the journey God's got us on. And actually, that's the thing we land on speaking about boats is actually the boat was unsuccessful. This one boat that was out all night had come back and had been very unsuccessful. But I love the fact that Jesus transforms the, the things that we seem are unsuccessful into vessels and vehicles for the miraculous. I want to say, as I land this point here, is what is in your hand that you need to make available to Jesus? What are you holding on to that you're disqualifying? It's just too ordinary. It's just too unqualified. It's not successful enough. That's my business. I, when I get to that level, then, I'll, then we'll start being generous with our business. Then we'll change the emphasis. When, when I get my finances get to this level, when my time gets that, then I'll, what are you holding tied to here that Jesus is saying, I want in on that? Give it to me now. Give it to me now. No, no, but that thing, it's not really working out yet. It's not polished yet. Our marriage is, is still on the rocks, Jesus. No, no, give it to me now. What shall I do with it? Because Jesus loves to transform the ordinary, unqualified, unsuccessful things into the extraordinary. And he wants to do it with you and I. He wants to do the extraordinary. But there's a catch. Will you make it available? Point two this morning. Out of this text, I see it says, obedience leads to breakthrough. Obedience leads to breakthrough. I love this passage. I read it. Jesus turns the whole story on his head. As he says to Peter, Peter, I want you to take your boat, go into the deep, and chuck your nets out on the other side. And I love this moment because Peter, in his response, teaches us about true obedience. He tells us, firstly, that obedience is not based on sight. True obedience is not based on sight because Peter could have said, Jesus, there are no fish out there. I'm a fisherman. I've been doing this for years. I've fished this exact place for years. I know when the fish are not here. There's no fish tonight. You're a carpenter. You're a great teacher. That's cool. But actually, yes, this is my area of expertise. But obedience is not based on sight, and neither is obedience based on feelings. Because this, um, this moment, Peter could say, Jesus, I appreciate that, but I'm exhausted. My boys are exhausted. We are so overtired. You should have heard the vulgar jokes that are going on in the boat now. The guys are over it. We, please, can I just send them home? Uh, actually, it's going to be costly because then I'm going to have to pay them overtime. Let's come back tomorrow. Jesus, let's make a plan. But true obedience is not based on sight, nor is it be based on feelings. Actually, obedience is not based on circumstances at all. I think too many of us are tethering our lives to obedience that's based on circumstance, or what I call Katy Perry obedience. I'm hot and then I'm cold. I'm yes and I'm no. I'm in and I'm out. You're all guessing which song I would sing. But I think that is like my own heart way too often. When, thing, uh, when life is going good, I'm up for what Jesus has. When the song in my, when I'm actually pumping that Hillsong album in my car, I'm like, Jesus, wherever you send me, I'll go. But when, I've, when I'm feeling on the low, it's all like, oh, let's just find some other, something else on the album. Let's listen to that. Let's, oh, just not today, Lord. When actually obedience is not based on sight, nor feelings, nor circumstance, that actually it demands of us. But actually the amazing thing that separates Peter from the crowd is that first word in Peter's response. Peter says this to Jesus' request. Go into the deep, cast your knees on the other side. Peter says this, Master. The crowd came because Jesus was a great teacher. Ooh, he'll give us some inspiration, some quotes for my Instagram feed. You know, who's who will be there? I want to be with the right crowd. He's inspiring. He makes me feel good. I want to be close to the teacher. But Peter said, responded, Master. 
And I want to tell you that the crowd came and they got a good message. But only Peter got the miracle. The crowd came and they came and they said they were listening to Jesus teach the word of God. I want to suggest that Peter was the only one who actually said, you don't just teach the word of God, you are the word of God. And actually, there's a shift for us. And I think too often, a lot of us, we, we treat this as a book of suggestions or treat Jesus as a, somebody who's going to come alongside us and maybe, hey, how can I make your life better when actually he's coming as master? Can I say, allow God to be God in your life. Allow God to be God. Actually, you were made by Jesus for Jesus. That's the extent of our existence. Whether you believe it or not, you were not made by marriage for marriage. You were not made by kids for kids. You are not made by finances for finances, by work for work. You were made by Jesus for Jesus. And any other existence will feel empty and dull, and that's why your work is feeling strained. That's why your marriage is feeling strained. That's why your kids are taxing you, because actually you are setting themselves up as the God and the determiner of your faith. Allow God to be God in your life. And actually, you and I need to have some of this old faith, old school faith that Peter seemed to lay hold of. He said, Master, I have caught nothing all night, but because you said so. No other responses. No, like, actually, just explain, Jesus, your thought process here. Are you gonna, is, the, is the petrol going to be worthwhile to take the boat out again? Is the manpower, the overtime to pay, will it be worth the amount of fish you want to give me? I'm, I'm in for your miracle, but how big a miracle? No, 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 he said, because you say so. I don't know what. I might even go out and come back empty again, but God, because you said so. This was the faith that you and I are called to because actually the creeds of our day seem opposed to this. In the 90s, early 2000s, Sprite used to declare on billboards emblazoned around the world, obey your thirst. That was in my 90s voice. Obey your thirst. <laughs> Oprah-esque type purveyors of entertainment would say, follow your heart. And now the more damning one of our day, the hashtag that goes at most, under, most uh, Instagram photos and, and, and stories is, live your truth. Can I resound an opposing voice to all of those? No, no, no. Obey his word. Follow his spirit. Live his truth. Can I tell you why we are anemic spiritually? Why we are falling apart at the seams? Because we put our agenda ahead of his. Allow him to be God, not a supplement to your faith. I've got this good idea. But actually, the Bible tells us that don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all else. It'll lead you to bad places. It'll lead you to destructive places. Follow his voice. Artie Kendall wrote a book a while ago called Your God is Too Safe. And the whole emphasis of that narrative was this. He says, if your God is not putting any demand on you that seems costly, maybe you've made yourself God. If your God is too agreeable to you, if always fits in with what I feel like, he always seems to be giving a thumbs up to my feelings, then you are God yourself. You haven't allowed him to be God. Let me say it strongly. I say this to my own heart, let's stop finding theology that will agree with our own worldview. Because I'm telling you, if you want to find it, you'll find the affirming voice for whatever you believe. But actually, we're going to allow the word to say, God, Master, but because you say so, I'll obey. John G. Lake, a famous preacher who lived in power and breakthrough like not many else in the, in the, in the, in the early 19th, uh, 20th century. They asked him, they said, what are your secrets, John G? What, uh, they call him John G because I don't think they called him John G, but it just sounds like a rapper's name, John G. John, Mr. Lake, 
what are your secrets? And, 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 and he, they're like, he's like, I've got three of them. And I can imagine him going, oh, here we go. He's going to give us the anointing oil. He's going to give us the right music to play. He's going to give us, you know, the, 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 the trip that we must make to that place. Come on, here we go. Tell us, John G., give it to us. And he goes, here it is. I read the word. I believe the word. And I act on the word. That's it. The secret to breakthrough is obedience to what God has said. Because you said so. And I want to tell you this is so opposed to our flesh and opposed to the way that we live. But this is the greatest news. Obedience is dangerous. Obedience is offensive. But it's thrilling and exhilarating and it'll lead you into the deep where every time there is breakthrough. Let me give you an example. In October last year, after a service like this, we got home and my wife says, Gabe, can we talk? And you know that's code for something big is happening. Can we talk? And I said, yes. I sat down. Then she said, you know, during worship today, I feel, felt God speak to me. Like just did impress something on my heart. And I was like, cool, what is it, Fee? She says, you know, in December, coming up, two months' time, we would have finished paying off your car. I'm like, yep. Cool, you remember, we've budgeted that money fee. I'm so excited. When that payment's done, we'll be able to put it towards that. Oh, it'd be awesome, amazing. Yeah, yeah, tell me more. We've been so good stewards, haven't we? Yes, yes, yes. She goes, yeah, the Lord told me that when we finish paying off our car, we must give it away. And I said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> For you do not have the thing. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not. If I wanted dinner, I would not say that. But I remember in my heart, I was like, that sounds awesome, Fee. And I just remember internally starting to stress. And internally, all the logic, for the next two months, outwardly going, yeah, that's cool. But internally wrestling with all the logic of this, wrestling with all my feelings on this, actually going struggling, saying, we've got a second child coming. We're going to now go down to one car. We're giving away the bigger car. And now we're going to, how are we going to fit two kids in that car? How are we going to do our opera? How are we going to have one kid going there, one kid? Logically, this doesn't make sense. Gabe, this is not wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom. Come on, you know, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Now lead my family. Fee, no, we're not doing that. No. Or, you know, then I started to start reason with God a little bit, saying, God, actually, we're generous with that car. We lend it to people when they need cars. So I said, actually, we lent it to two or three families in December. What, you know what? If I do the math, if we do it three times a month, we can make that car can bless many families, God. You know how our reasoning goes, our inner monologues. As this wrestle happened, but I, at the end, I had to just submit and say, you know what, God, Master, doesn't make sense in my head. It doesn't make sense financially. It doesn't make sense in, our, in, in the way we're going to our lifestyle. But if you said so, I trust you. And in January, we had the privilege of handing over the car, the car keys and the paper to somebody in our community and saying, the car is yours. And they were like, wow, this is the biggest blessing. You, wow, it's going to change our lives. And I said, can I be, to be honest, this is a bigger blessing for me and I'm trusting it's going to change my life. And I'm not saying that with any false humility, but actually this is God's economy because God says, if you're obedient, it will lead to breakthrough. Can I tell you, I believe God is my provider. I believe that he's never shortchanged. He'll never, he'll ne I'll never remain in his debt. I can't outgive the giver. God is faithful. That actually if I give him, I trust him. My trust is not in my ability. But here's the great thing. Even if I never get anything back from him financially or in that shape or form, I want to tell you, my heart was set free from smallness in that moment. Because obedience, bah, I trust you. Oh, thank goodness. I don't have to make my own future. I don't have to manufacture it. There's a call to breakthrough here. And I believe this church, I want to say it again and again. I believe we're going to be the most generous people in the city. That from this community, there will be a people who give away multiple cars. I'm trusting that God will entrust us with lots of wealth, lots of good things. Why? So that we can give it away. 
Because I tell you, the father says, oh, I can trust that boy with cars because he gives them away when, he, when I speak. See what else I'll give him. I'm not saying this is a way to twist God's arm, but God never remains in our debt. He is good. He is faithful. And I'm praying that this will happen to us. But this is the thing. Do you want breakthrough in your finances? you want breakthrough in your marriage? you want breakthrough in your relationships, in your work? God has it for you. But there's a catch. There's obedience that precedes it. Thirdly and finally this morning, is that death leads to life. I love how the scripture ends. Massive haul of fish, Peter's so overcome, he falls on his face and says, I'm a sinner, depart from me, I can't handle this. Your goodness, to an ordinary, unqualified, unsuccessful man, you're pouring out your goodness, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, stand up. I want you now to leave everything and come follow me. And the scripture ends with them leaving the miracle and following Jesus. Why this is huge is because actually in this moment, Jesus says, you know what, that's a big catch, but we've got bigger fish to fry, if you excuse the pun. But actually, Jesus in this moment is doing something profound because actually they could have leveraged Jesus for their story. In that moment, they could have gone, oh my word, how much do we have to pay Jesus a week to come around here and be our, our Holy Spirit fish finder? It's over there. Imagine the fish we'll catch. Get Discovery on the line, Discovery Channel. We've got a show, Fishermen of Galilee. It's going to be huge. Wherever we go, fish, boom. Then Peter could add his walking on water trick. It'll be amazing. They could have leveraged Jesus for their story, but in this moment, Jesus says, you've got two options. You can live in that, or you can walk into the so much more, but it's going to cost you everything. Actually, the story is not about a miracle. Actually, it's about the miracle of men and women who leave everything to follow him. I have a friend who said this quote once, and it's rung and reverberated in my heart for years. He said, maybe we're not experiencing resurrection power because we're not truly dead yet. Maybe we're not living in true resurrection power because we're not truly dead yet. And I, and I ask that question of myself because actually there's a call for you and I to die to opinion, to die to self, to die to the passions of this world, die to the flesh. And actually in this moment, Jesus is saying, Peter, I want to give you the greatest gift ever. This whole thing is not about you. In that moment, Jesus was moving Peter from a consumer to a contributor. Saying, I don't want you just to be a participant in my glory, a, a receiver of my glory. I want you to be a participant in my glory. Somebody who extends my glory, who links hands and walks in partnership with me to do greater things. But too many of us, I think, settle. If we say, oh, if God just gave me that breakthrough. Whoa. But God loves you too much to sometimes release that so that you can get satisfied with something less. God's saying, I've got more for you. I've got more for you. I've got more for you. And it's a bigger journey. And actually, I want to tell you, God has got more for us, but there's a catch Again and again in Scripture, he says this. He says to the boys, the disciples, boys, who wants to be the greatest? They were like, pick me, pick me, pray for me, anoint me, Jesus. I'm in. I want to be the greatest. He goes, cool, serve. That's how you do it. He then goes on. He says, you want to receive? Give it away. He says, you want to grow? So you want to find your life? Lose it. There always is a catch. But I love the fact that actually this whole story revolves not around Peter, but a man named Jesus. That actually he was showing them something that actually that he was going to model even greater still. When that he would approach his life, would approach his end, and he'll move towards the cross. Philippians 2 will tell us that he became nothing. He humbled himself, not considering equality with God something to be grasped. But he took on the nature of a servant. He made himself available to become the, the, the one who takes upon the, himself the sins of the world. And in the garden, when his flesh was crying out, he said, but not my will, your will be done. And he became obedient and obedient unto death on the cross. But when he died, God raised him up because death always 
grace leads to life. God raised him up and gave him the name that's above every other name. And that because of that name, many sons and daughters will come to glory. Jesus shows us this is not just something he requires of us. This is something he's provided for us. Actually, I want to say this in this moment. I've been saying again and again in the sermon that God wants to bless you. God wants to grow you. He wants to use you. He wants to raise you up. But there's a catch. Are you available? Are you obedient? Are you willing to die to yourself? But actually, I want to rephrase it. God wants to bless you. He wants to grow you. He wants to use you. He wants to raise you up. Why? Because there's a catch. Because there's a catch. He lands this whole story. The story was not about the great catch of fish that had just happened, but the great catch of fish of men and women that was yet to come. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to take your small story and make it one of the biggest stories in humanity. Another man, rich young ruler, came and said, come follow me, leave everything, give away all your wealth. Jesus inviting him to the story, but he could not do it. But Peter, an ordinary, unsuccessful, unqualified man, his name is reminded and remembered, and we're reminded of it for centuries and centuries and centuries and millennia. Why? Because this ordinary, unsuccessful, unqualified man said, Master, I'll do as you say. This invitation, I believe, is on the table for you and I. Why? Because there's a catch. Because the decisions we make are not just about you and I. It's affecting the generations to come. If I had time, I would tell you stories of the men and women who've paid prices for me to be where I am today. I don't think I would be here if they hadn't made the decisions they made. And you and I can make decisions of faith that affect our family, our kids, our grandkids, those around us, the people in this room, and those yet to come to faith, that we can make decisions of faith. Our availability, our obedience, and our dying to self will lead to extraordinary things, breakthrough, and life and life to the full for many others around us. This is how serious this is. I pray that you and I would respond to it. Can we close our eyes, please? I've been mentioning many little songs from the 90s. Maybe I've been doing a little bit of going down memory lane at times this week, but there was a song in the 90s by a band called Switchfoot. And their song title that rose them to prominence was this, I Dare You to Move. You see, the song lyrics were something had the gist of it saying that I'm, I'm stuck in between where I am and where I should be. And I believe that this word that God is preaching to our hearts, not me, throw out what is me, but receive what is His. God is saying this, I dare you to move. I dare you to move from the crowd to the core. I dare you to move from compromise to conviction. I dare you to move from comfort to calling. But actually, it takes availability, obedience, and deaths to happen. So I'm going to ask you a bold thing. This morning, if you're here and you're saying, God, today is not business as usual. Today is me taking, not allowing this just to be one day, but this to be my day. I believe with faith in my heart, I was up all night, trusting that this would change the, life, the face of our church and change the face of generations to come. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to stand, but not yet. If you've been in the crowd when you know you should have been in the core, when you know you've been settling in compromise and you know you should have been standing in conviction, when you've been in comfort but you're saying, actually, today I want to take hold of the call of God, maybe you felt ordinary, unqualified, unsuccessful, but today you're allowing the master's voice to speak over you again. I'm going to ask you to stand now. Why don't you stand to your feet if that's you? I'm the first one standing. I probably should have said before I got you to stand that there's a catch. Standing does nothing but if our hearts are in faith, can I tell you, this will cost you everything. 
But the good news with Jesus is the catch always has reward. He says, but it'll gain you everything. Why don't you close your eyes, lift your hands, respond however you will to, to your master, to your king, to Jesus. Father, I pray for sons and daughters who hear your word today. I thank you, Father God, as Switchfoot declared, <laughs> I dare you to move. And I thank you, Father God, today we choose to move. We choose to make ourselves available, untie our boats. We choose to say, Master, if you said so, and, and yield our lives to you in obedience. We choose to lay our lives down and say, I'm going to die to myself, to opinion of man, die to, to comfort. I'm going to die to my convenience. I'm going to die to compromise. I'm going to die to the crowd mentality. I'm stepping in. Jesus, I want to follow you. I thank you, Father God, that destinies are changed in this room. More than that, God, there's a greater catch that actually businesses start to have new ideas to reach the city that families will start to become vehicles for your glory. Homes will start to become containers where your life will break forth. That lives here would be used for your glory. I thank you, Father God, that you've promised us blessing, growth, breakthrough, life. And I declare it over every heart, but I thank you, Father God, this is not cheap, it's not easy, it costs you your life. So we respond the same way, say, Jesus, we'll give you ours. I thank you, Father God, as people, men and women stand in conviction, would your Holy Spirit empower them now to lean fully and completely on you for that grace to walk this out. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.